Thanks, Stephen. I get a stand and a welcome. I like that. Please be seated. As Stephen said, this is our last Sunday together in 2021. And I wanted to look again uh, at by faith. As Stephen said, that's been our theme throughout the year. And God had Paul say to the Corinthian believers that we walk by faith, not by sight. And those are really the two, those are your two choices, okay? You can walk by faith, meaning you can walk by something that God has said, or you can walk by sight, which is walking by something that you have seen. And all of us, we fall somewhere on that continuum. Paul was able to say by revelation, we walk by faith, not by sight. For me, it might have been we walk mostly by faith and not by sight. And we have seen in our church, in our fellowships, that we have moved from walking by sight to more and more walking by faith. And when we walk by faith is when life gets exciting. And I want to look this morning, since we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ at the end of this week, I wanted to look at some of the faith that surrounded the birth of Jesus Christ. And specifically, I want to zero in on Mary and celebrate the faith of the mother of our Savior. Now, faith in its simplest form is simply a response to information. I want to break this down so you understand how simple faith is. Because Christians often make faith this big deal, like it's really hard, like I'm really believing God to see something. Actually, you just look constipated. You don't, I don't know what this is that you're doing, but that's, faith was not God's design to make the Christian walk difficult. Faith was God's design to make the Christian walk simple. And faith is a response to information. And when you hear something, anything, there are three possible responses. You can accept and believe it, you can reject it, or you can ignore it. Those are the three things you do with information as you get it day by day. Now, we choose what we're going to think about what we hear. And when you choose to believe information that you encounter, that's faith. And all humans have faith. Faith is not a Christian thing. Faith is a human thing. All humans have faith. Biblical faith is when you believe something that God has said. And, you know, everybody, when you hear information, you decide something about it. And let me give you an example. If you are contacted by a Nigerian prince who is offering you $1 million to open a bank account for him in the United States, just as a thank you for opening this bank account, that's information, right? You can believe that information. If you believe that information, that is faith. It's not going to get you very far, but it is faith. You have heard information, you've accepted it as true, and you've decided to act on it. On the other hand, if you have something that God has said, God has said that if you, if you choose to declare that Jesus is your Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, what is that sentence? That sentence is information. That's all it is. What are you going to do with that information? If you choose to believe it, then your faith in that verse is no different than somebody else's faith in the Nigerian prince. 
Faith is faith. The differences about faith is the object of the faith. Okay, when the object of the faith is God and you declare Christ as Lord, believe God, raise him from the dead, what you receive is eternal life. You receive forgiveness of sins. You receive entrance into a family. When your faith is in a Nigerian prince, what you, you don't receive anything. What you lose is whatever money you open that bank account with. But you see, faith is faith. The difference between the faith in the, in the Nigerian prince and the faith in God is not the level of faith. It's not what you're doing with your mind. That's not the difference. The difference is the object of your faith. If the object of your faith is the words of men and women, they may or may not prove fruitful. But if that same faith is placed in the words of God, mountains get moved. And by the way, the mountains don't get moved by the strength of your faith. It's not like um, I really have to have good faith. You know, that's why people kind of like look like they're stressing when they're trying to have faith. It's not your strength of faith that moves the mountain. It's God who moves the mountain. And, all, and God, who knows your heart, he knows what's in your heart. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your desires. And he sees you come to the place that you choose to believe something that he said. And you know what happens next? He moves the mountain. You don't have to move mountains. When you're sick, you don't have to believe God for your healing. You know what you have to believe? That God can heal you. Now, that's a lot easier. If I have to believe for my healing, then there's something I have to do to bring that healing about. But I want, in faith in God's word, God is the one who always is the mover. God's the one who takes the action that makes it happen. But God says things that we find difficult to accept and believe. He says things to us that are a little outlandish to our ears. He says things to us. Remember I said faith and sight? He says things to us that we've never seen. And if we've never seen it, we sometimes have difficulty believing it. God has said many difficult things over the centuries. He told Moses to hit a rock and it'd have water in the desert. Now, nobody had ever seen that before. Moses hadn't seen that before. But what did Moses decide to do? Hit the rock. What happened? Children of Israel got water. Some temple officials came to Jesus and his disciples one time asking, you know, does your master pay the temple tax? And what Jesus, he said this to Peter, and Peter goes to Jesus, he's asking if we're paying the taxes. And uh, what Jesus said is, of course. What you do, Peter, why don't you go down to the Sea of Galilee and fish, and when you get a fish, it'll have the tax money in its mouth. Now, Peter was a fisherman. This is not, he knows that this is not how you get money. You get money by catching fish and selling them. He got that. But I'm going to catch a fish, open its mouth, and I have my... Peter just could have scratched his head and not, okay, well, I think I'm going to take a collection with the other 11 apostles and see what we can do. No. Now, who put the, you know, Peter's faith in taking action on what Jesus said isn't what put the coin in the fish's mouth. Where'd that coin come from? God. Because it's God who does these things. And when we receive information from God, either by his written word, which is our most easy source of information, or by direct revelation, when it seems out of place or it seems to be impossible to you, 
It doesn't seem logical. We often respond by rejecting the information. Or as Christians, we might not reject God's word. We simply sort of ignore it and go about our life other ways. Before you reject a promise that God has made as improbable, impossible, and not logical, we need to remind ourselves that God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His power is off the charts beyond us. It is beyond the realm of our experience. God is beyond the realm of our experience, which is why we can't draw back when he reveals something to us that is beyond the realm of our experience. Look at Matthew chapter 19. The apostles often had this problem when Jesus would say something. It's like, yeah, that's really interesting, Jesus. (laughs) How could that ever happen? And in Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Jesus acknowledged that what God was doing was impossible to man. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Anything that God has promised, God is able to do. And we want to get to the place that the words of God, the words that he gives us, the promises, the declarations, the truths that he presents are more real to us than anything else we might see, even when they are straight opposite of what God says. And this is commented on, Paul comments on it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in verse 13. It says, we also thank God continually. Paul prayed a lot. Because when you received the word of God, which ye heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Now, Paul had a more difficult time than you and I do. Because in our culture, we have the physical Bible already written out, right? And people have an idea that this book is different. They might not know much about it, but okay. I can say, Doug, here in the Bible, it says. And we have an automatic kind of reverence for that. The Bible wasn't written. The New Testament wasn't written when Paul was preaching in Thessalonica. That was before any of the New Testament had been written. So what do the people in Thessalonica have? They've got Paul talking to them. But they received his message not as Paul's made-up idea about God, but they received it as the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. And if you settle within your heart that the Bible contains the word of God, then your life is going to begin to reflect the promises of God. What does your life reflect right now? For most of us, myself included, my life reflects a hodgepodge of things. The more I focus on the, the, the fact, the truth, that the scriptures declare what is right and what God will do, my life begins to reflect God. You know, you're, you've been created in the image of God. You know what an image is? It's a reflection. That's what an image is. It's a reflection. We reflect God. But we can't reflect God if we don't know his words. And if we don't know God's words, or we don't esteem God's words for what they really are, if we think that his promises are just too big, they're just too out there. I mean, that would be nice, Bob, but, you know. When we do that, then we are settling for a life that is much narrower 
than the one God has planned for you. Are you walking down a slot or are you on a big field? God wants you on a big field with your life. And since next Saturday is Christmas, I want to show you some of the faith that surrounds the birth of Christ. My focus is Mary. She is a woman far more remarkable than any of us really understand. And we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible or you've got a phone, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. Mary, in this chapter, is going to show us what faith looks like. This is what it looks like. But we're going to look first at what faith doesn't look like. And we're going to see unbelief, a lack of faith, in Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist. And we're going to have a very interesting contrast in unbelief and belief between Zechariah and Mary. And Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, this sets the time frame for us. Herod died in around 2 BC. So we know that this, these events are occurring in 3 and 4 BC. Gives us the time frame for the birth of Christ. At that time, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Now, the priests in Israel were divided into 24 groups. And they each were given two weeks of service at the temple. The Jews had a lunar calendar, okay? So it had 12 months, 28 days to a month. So they had each priest, each group of priests had two weeks when they served at the temple. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth lived in Judea, not far away. And for two weeks every year, Zechariah would go work at the temple. (coughs) Excuse me. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So there were two reasons they weren't having children. There was some apparent medical issue with Elizabeth, and she was barren. But also, beyond that, they were both older than when you would still be having children. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple itself and stand before the incense altar before the Holy of Holies, and he was going to burn incense. This was very rare. It was done by lot. They would draw, you know, lots as to who got to do it of all the priests who was serving. You could go your whole lifetime serving at the temple and never once get the opportunity to go in before the Holy of Holies and burn incense. But this year, I think the lottery was rigged. Because this year, Zechariah got to go into the temple, standing before the altar of incense in front of the Holy of Holies. Incense symbolized for them the ascent of their prayers to God. Because, you know, smoke rises, right? So what incense represented to them in Israel, and in some churches to this day, was the lifting of your prayers to God. And this was a particular, this was a wonderful privilege. And the people of Israel who were in the temple area at that time would all gather around for that. 
And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Why were they praying then? Because incense represented their prayers going to God for answers. And there appeared to him, to Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That's a good place for an angel to stand. The right side is the side, the right hand is the hand of blessing, the left hand is the hand of cursing. That's why, here's a a side note, in Latin, the word for left is sinister. That tells you what they thought of the left side, right? But this angel is on the right side. So, you know, Zachariah should be at least relieved, okay? I'm here, the angel's on the right side of the altar, okay, things should be good. But still, when he saw him, fear fell upon him. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Angels had a stock line. You know, I, I remember, I would watch Star Trek Voyager. And whenever the doctor would appear, he'd say, Please state the nature of the medical emergency. He said the same thing every time the holographic doc would appear. It seems that every time an angel appears, he says the exact same thing. Do not be afraid. Because apparently their appearance, people were usually afraid. Not that they looked strange, but there wasn't supposed to be anybody anywhere near the Holy of Holies. All of a sudden he's got this angel there. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. He's telling him that his prayer has been heard at the time of incense when the prayers are being lifted to heaven. This would mean something to Zechariah that is perhaps more than it means to us today. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Jesus himself was not filled with with Holy Spirit until he was baptized by John when he was 30 years old. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, before the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Why were so many people prepared and looking for the Messiah when Jesus showed up 30 years later? Because of the ministry of this man. If Jesus had been, born, had been ministering in 4 B.C. instead of being born in 3 B.C., if the country wasn't prepared. They weren't prepared until after the ministry of John the Baptist, whose birth we've just heard about. And here's Zechariah's response to the angel in verse 18. How shall I know this? How shall I know this? An immediate expression of doubt. How shall I know this? For I am old, an old man and my wife is advanced in years. What is he walking by? Is he walking by faith or by sight? He's walking by sight. He's looking around saying, you know, I love my wife Elizabeth, but you know, she's never had any children and she's old. So he's walking by sight, not by faith. And what he's asking for here is a sign. That's what he wants. Like an angel appearing to you, in the, you know, by the altar of incense. That seems like a good sign to me. But that wasn't enough. He still was walking by sight. He won't believe 
without an additional sign. And the angel answered to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. What else you need? He didn't actually say that part. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words. That's why I know he's walking by sight. The angel actually verifies this. You did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. This is interesting. Elizabeth was not healed of her barrenness because of the faith of Zechariah, or the faith of Elizabeth for that matter. God chose to sovereignly act to heal Elizabeth. See, God can do that because God is sovereign, right? And so God chose, because he wanted John the Baptist, he chose to heal whatever the obstacle to bury a child was in Elizabeth's life so that she could have John the Baptist. Look at verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. I mean, there usually isn't a delay. You go in, you burn the incense, you come back out and bless the people. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. I'd like to see what he was, his sign language about, you know, the angel was there. (laughs) How do you describe this? And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. Now, you know, many times, even women today, they won't announce their pregnancy until they get past the first trimester. In case something goes wrong, they won't announce anything. Well, Elizabeth waited five months. Okay, so she waited more than half the pregnancy before she told anybody or told anybody other than Zechariah. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now we're going to switch our focus to Mary. And we're going to see a very different response to a promise from God. Mary was not a well-seasoned and educated priest. Mary was a teenage girl, probably no more than 16. What is she going to do when she is presented with a promise, a declaration? Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent again now from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Very common name for Jewish women at this time. To be betrothed, was more than to be engaged. If you're engaged to someone, you can break that off at any time with no consequences, no problems. You can break an engagement. To be betrothed in Israel at this time, the only way to end a betrothal was by a divorce. So this was, it was they weren't living together, it wasn't marriage, but it was way more than what you might think of to be engaged. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. That's promising. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. And the angels like to say that. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, conceiving in your womb without the assistance of a man is not the way you have babies. But this, what the angel just described, relates itself back to the first promise of a Messiah in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God told Eve that your seed will crush Satan. That was the first promise. He is, that's why you will hear Jesus referred to as the promised seed, but the seed of the woman. No man was involved. No man is mentioned by the angel because God knew that no man would be involved, only a believing woman. About this son, verse 32, Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Unlike Zechariah, who did not believe and wanted an additional sign, Mary just wanted to know how it was going to happen. To Mary, okay, fine. Well, how's this going to happen, by the way? Just what am I expecting? Very different response. Zechariah had educated unbelief. Mary had simple faith in what the angel said. Just wanted to know how it's going to happen. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. That's why you can walk by faith, not by sight. Because what you and I think is impossible is quite doable to the creator of the universe. And Mary said, watch this line. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is faith. That's what, that's, that is the response of faith. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Remember, this baby was filled with the Spirit within the womb. And Elizabeth now was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, this is prophecy. Okay, she is speaking prophetically because of the Spirit of God that was in her. This wasn't her, you know, thing that she just came up with, okay? This is God speaking his message through Elizabeth. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. For why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed. What did Mary do? She believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the law, the Lord. She believed there would be a fulfillment. Many times we see great promises of God, and rather than believe that there will be a fulfillment, our response is, well, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if that happened? 
That wasn't Mary's response. She heard it. Be it unto me according to thy word. Mary heard from the Lord, and what she heard from the Lord was a bit out of the ordinary. As a matter of fact, it was absolutely unique in the annals of human history. But she did not look at the promise through the eyes of human experience. That's what Zechariah did. She looked at this promise through the eyes of faith. Now, there's one more verse that I want to read to you, something that Mary said about 31 years after this time that we're looking at right here. And it shows the continued faith that she had in anything that God might say, whether it was something God said in his word, something God said from, from an angel, or something now that she would hear from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, the son that she saw born those many years ago. They're at a wedding feast. Jesus, his disciples, his mother's there. They run out of wine. How embarrassing that would be to run out of wine. And Mary talks to Jesus about this. And after she talks to Jesus, she turns to the servants who knew there was no wine left. They're the ones who served it. Look what Mary says to the servants. Verse 5 of John chapter 2. Do we have that one? Yeah, we do. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That, that's words to live by. When you encounter something that God has said, do whatever he tells you. You hear from Jesus Christ, do whatever he tells you. You hear from an angel, do whatever he tells you. You get direct revelation from God, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Whatever. Because we know from Scripture, Mary knew from experience, that God will sometimes tell you things that come into the definite whatever kind of category of life. What faith? These are the final recorded words of Mary within the four Gospels. But there is more that we know of Mary's life. Here we have her at the beginning of Jesus' ministries, John chapter 2. It's the beginning of his ministry. She was there at the end. She was at the cross watching this, this promised seed who she bore die on the cross. She was there. She was also with the apostles and disciples about 45 days later praying with them. We read that in the book of Acts. And although it doesn't say clearly, it said that she was with them at that time between the Ascension and Pentecost. She was undoubtedly there on Pentecost when her son, the one promised by the angel, poured out Holy Spirit not on just a few individuals but on anyone who believed. What faith. What a woman. But I didn't read this record to you so that you could go and say, man, wasn't Mary great? Mary was great. Yeah, Mary was great. That's not why I wanted you to go to the record. What she did, you can do also. What she did, you can do also. Living by faith is deciding to say yes to anything God says, even if it's outside of your comfort zone. And let me tell you, God will almost always go outside of your comfort zone. God lives outside of your comfort zone. Your comfort zone is a prison. And God wants to break you out of it. We can make this same choice. 
Faith has made 2021 an exciting year in our church, and it has set the stage for an exciting life. Now, today I talked about Mary. This week, as Stephen said, we're going to be dropping a midweek momentum, and I'm going to talk about Joseph. I'm an equal opportunity kind of guy. So you can see another story of faith that surrounded the birth of our Savior. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to be gathering together to celebrate in song and scripture the start of the real time of redemption with the birth of Christ. So please join me in prayer. Dear God, we are amazed that you actually planned redemption and didn't just give up on humanity. We praise you, God, for all that you did throughout history to get to the place that your son could be born. We pray, God, or we pray to praise you for those men and women who decided to take you at their word. And I pray, Father, that this day, this very moment, we can take you at your word also. And we can see the same kind of broad and open life that the men and women we just read about saw. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. God bless you.